Welcome, and thanks for checking out the Living Word Family Church Sermon Podcast. Before we get to the message, we'd like to invite you to check out Living Word Family Church if you don't already have a church home. For more information, you can check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. Good morning. Good to have uh, Specialist Joshua Peach with us here today. Senior, senior specialist, right? Senior specialist. <laughs> oh, good to see you all here today. What a, I'm, I'm excited about this. This is our kind of our Christmas service as far as Sunday mornings go. We will have a um, Christmas Eve service. It'll be short. It'll be intimate. Mostly, it'll be mostly a night of worship. Um, we will uh, also receive communion during that time. I'll have a short message. We won't be taking up an offering. Uh, as part of that service. We're going to keep it streamlined, and I pro- we probably should have mentioned that before because if you're, uh, this is kind of, uh, well, we have another, we'll have another Sunday, right? Yeah, we have another Sunday. So anyway, keep that in mind for those of you who make year-end gifts, uh, if that's a concern for as far as your taxes go. Uh, meanwhile, we're wrapping up this morning, we are uh, wrapping up our series on Advent and Christmas. This series has been called Gift Exchange gift exchange. And we started with the exchange of new lives for old. God gives us a new life. What do we give him? We give him our old life. Who comes out on the better end of that gift exchange? Yeah, we do. Uh, And last week, we give him praise for the past and praise for his promises. God lays it all out and shows us and has recorded and preserved the record of his dealings with mankind. That's the past that we focus on. And we see that track record. We see that uh, we even made, compared it last week to a resume uh, that God lays out before us. And therefore, when we see how perfectly he has done everything in the past, we can get excited and exercise faith and believe and thank him for the promises. And our response to that is always praise. This week, uh, today, we're actually going to start with, with this, a real simple truth. And it's this, that God is God. And I don't mean that in the way that so many in our world today mean it, meaning that, uh, well, Jehovah, God, the God we serve, the God of the Bible, is our God, but we must be respectful and recognize that other people have different gods or different names for God or different concepts of God. There is one God, and he is the God of the Bible. Yahweh, Jehovah, depending on what language you are reading it in. But a few years ago, a pastor friend of mine started to share some things that got some people concerned about his... uh, doctrinal correctness. And so I started just kind of poking around and looking at some of the things this guy was reading. And he had become apparently a a fan, a big fan, of a a kind of a well-known youngish Bible scholar who frankly had very low regard for the historical accuracy of the Bible, particularly the Old Testament. Um, Example of this, Bill Gray told me this story of uh, a church he used to attend where somebody was explaining certain passages of the Bible. And uh, a, a, favorite, a favorite and easy example of this is when you read the conquest narratives of, of Joshua and so forth, whenever Israel was commanded by God to go into a certain town, a certain region, and wipe people out. And we have 
It's, it, it is. It, there's some tension in there. How do we reconcile a loving God with a command like that? Uh, and so people have tried to spin it different ways. And uh, this guy that, that uh, Bill Gray was telling me about simply said, well, uh, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong about this, and I don't know if it was a pastor or a Bible study leader, pastor said, uh, you've got to look at the Bible kind of like it's a family album. And everybody in the family gets to put something in the album, even the, the old crazy uncle. Uh, and so this is the way, and this is essentially what this scholar that this pastor friend of mine was reading, that these people would write things down uh, and then basically retroactively try to justify their actions by saying, well, God told us to do this. In other words, God never really told them to go in and kill those people. They just wanted to kill them, and then they said, God told us. And this guy's serious. Uh, so, and, but one of his more egregious, even, even worse, uh, a more egregious claim was that God, that he, he asserted that the Bible never claims that there is only one God. The Bible, according to this writer, affirms the existence of other gods. And this blew me away. Now, does the Bible mention other gods? Even by name, it does. Baal, Dagon, Molech, and... Uh, as well as, of course, these lesser deities represented by household idols and altars and statues. But when this, that wasn't what this guy was saying. He was essentially saying that the Bible affirmed the actual existence of these gods. But what the Bible does, very clearly, when it refers to these other gods, it does so with the clear intention of categorically saying that these gods are not gods at all. He's recognized that, he's simply... Recognizing that people are calling them gods and worshiping them as gods, but that they shouldn't be because they're not gods. And this is stated clearly throughout the Bible, many places. It's all over the place in the Bible. Here's a great uh, passage, though. Jeremiah chapter 2, beginning in verse 4, says this. Jeremiah 2, beginning in verse 4. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, What injustice have your fathers found in me, that they have gone far from me, have followed idols, and have become idolaters? Neither did they say, Where is the Lord who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, who led us through the wilderness, through a land of deserts and pits, through a land of drought and the shadow of death, through a land that no one crossed and where no one dwelt? I brought you into a beautiful country to eat its fruit and its goodness, but when you entered, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. The priests did not say, where is the Lord? And those who handle the law did not know me. The rulers also transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and walked after things that did not profit. Therefore, I will yet bring charges against you, says the Lord, and against your children's children I will bring charges. For pass beyond, the, and he's telling them to take a tour, pass beyond the coast of Cyprus and see. Send to Kedar and consider diligently and see if there has ever been such a thing. Has a nation changed its gods which are not gods? But my people have changed their glory for what does not profit. Here is God chastising Israel for turning from him to idols and then challenged them. He said, this is what's so bizarre about this. All of these nations who are serving gods that are not gods that cannot possibly profit them in any way are somehow remaining loyal to them. 
you who have the one true God are the only nation that has turned away to follow these fake gods. But clearly says they are not gods. In the New Testament, we can read this in Acts chapter 19, beginning in verse 23. And about that time, there arose a great commotion about the way, meaning this is the early church, early Christianity. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Diana, brought no small profit to the craftsmen. He called them together, the workers of similar occupation, and said, Men, you know that we have our prosperity by this trade. Moreover, you also, moreover, you see and hear that not only at Ephesus, but throughout almost all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people, saying that they are not gods which are made with hands. So not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificence destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worship. This was clearly Paul's message, that Diana was not just the wrong God, that Diana was not God. Now, Demetrius, the silversmith, obviously, clearly, he's more worried about the money he's going to lose if people stop buying these statues and idols and everything. But it's a clear reference to what Paul really was preaching, that these were not gods. And there's no shortage of Scripture. You know this. There's no shortage of Scripture that specifically addressed this. Romans Chapter 1 chronicles the rapid decline of sinful man. And in verse 24, we read, Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Now, I know you know all this. I'm just laying some very important groundwork here for today's message that there is and always has been only one God. And this is not a matter, this is not one of those deals where, uh, I've talked before about the, you know, this progressive revelation. People, uh, God revealed different things about himself uh, at different stages. These things became clear. But this is not one of those doctrines that was ever in doubt. All right? They knew that the, their God, Jehovah, was the only God. Now, this is super, super important when it comes to the following. And those of you who've been in this church a long time have probably heard me say this a dozen times, but it never gets old to me. Hope it doesn't get old to you. But the first commandment, uh, let's, let's, uh, let's read this in Exodus chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. And the Lord spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage. And now we get the commandments. First commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Second one. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. Now, I've shared both of those. The main one is the first one. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. But that second one is basically an expansion of that. So, so don't make idols. Don't make these carved images for the purpose of bowing down to them and serving them and worshiping them. Why? The reason he gives there is I am a jealous God. Now, when we hear that word jealousy, 
it's really hard for us not to hear that through the filter of our experience because when you and I experience jealousy, it's usually due to some petty insecurity, right? Uh, We get jealous for stupid reasons. I had a conversation just this week with a dear old friend. Don't see him very often. And he's had a tough life. That's a lot of tragedy in his life. And uh, not going into any details here, but being older, like me, he's, uh, he's at a point where he's looking back on his life and he's frustrated because he's not where he thought he would be at this stage of his life. He's made some bad decisions, again, had some bad things happen, and is just feeling, uh, in his words, worthless. And he was just un- unloading. Uh, made a point of, uh, of calling me and asked if we could just talk, and we talked for a couple of hours. And uh, at one point in the conversation, and this blew me away, he said, I called you because for all so, so many years, you probably never knew this, but I've always been jealous of you. Me? Yeah, because you know, I look at, you know, I, see, I hear you talk about your family, and I see the pictures, and this, that, and you've got so much going for you, and, and now... I want you to know, after, after he shared this, I, I did encourage him in the Lord. I gave him solid spiritual counsel. But I also spent some time uh, disabusing him of the notion that I lead some kind of idyllic life. And it blessed him to hear of my failures. <laughs> my shortcomings. My struggles. We have no idea. We look at people and get jealous, but if we knew everything, we wouldn't be. You know, grass is always greener thing, right? My point is that somebody doesn't have to do something to you or take something from you for you to be jealous. They just have to do better or look like they're doing better. You know, in the case of romantic rivalries, it drives us nuts to see somebody happier with someone else than they were with us. There's there's an old song. Ah, I should have looked it up and and copied the lyrics. And uh, it's a country song of all things, which I've never been much of a country music fan. I think this was back in the 80s. There was a song. I don't remember who sang it. It sounded somebody like like Barbara Mandrell, but I don't think it was her. The song was called Nobody. Anybody remember this song? About a a woman who's suspicious that her husband is having an affair because he's working late. He's... uh, uh, whatever, and so she asks him, you know, who were you on the phone with? Who were you working with? Where have you been? And his answer is always nobody, nobody, nobody. And then she said, and the chorus goes something like, you're nobody called today. She hung up when I asked her name. I wonder, does she think she's being clever? You say nobody's after you. That's a fact I know is true. But here's the line that always got me. But I can love you like nobody can, even better. This is a little bit closer to the kind of jealousy God's expressing here. When we stray from him, when we turn our back on him to pursue other things, whether we are bowing before them as idols or simply chasing some other dream, we are investing time and energy and money and talents and all this stuff into something that God himself knows can never satisfy us. Why? Because he made us for himself. And we pursue these things. He's basically saying, I can love you better than that. It's a pure jealousy because God is perfect love. His jealousy is on our behalf. He hates to see us. Thou shalt have no other gods before me because anything 
that you put in my place is going to let you down. And I love you. And I don't want to see you let down. His plans for us are good plans. He is intimately concerned with our welfare. And his concern for our welfare is not in tension with, with his concern for his glory. We talked about this on Wednesday night. I encourage you to get that message. To the praise of his glory, I think is the title of that. And we find ourselves, you know this. I think you know this. We will find ourselves in the safest, most prosperous, and joyful position when we are intimately concerned with honoring God and bringing him glory. God seeks humble people so that he can exalt them. There. That's already over five pages of notes, and that's my introduction. Good news is the actual message is is quite short. And it's, it's this. We're talking about the gift exchange. Did you ever look at it this way, that God's commandments are a gift? God's commandments are a gift to us because he doesn't remain shrouded in mystery and leave us to grope for some way to please him. He tells us what to do. Listen, life is hard. Life is hard. There's a bad devil, and we live in a sin-sick world that is groaning under the weight of sin. And our, our very flesh carries the remnants of the sin nature. And it's not getting easier. There are so many things that compete for our attention, that compete for our loyalty. Competing with God for our loyalty is what I mean. And we struggle with these selfish desires constantly. We struggle with fear about the future. Just finished my column for January's newsletter. I'm not sure when that comes out, but if you're not in the habit of reading it, read this one, okay, because I talk about that. It's important, and I'm sure I'll refer to it from time to time. In fact, here's something I say in there, that God, guess what, sees the future. The one that we get twisted up about in fear because we can't see it, God sees it. He sees it all. And because we know that he sees it all, Sometimes I think we wish that he would lay out the whole plan. It's like, all right, I know he's God. He can, he can tell us to do whatever, but here's what we want. I want you to do this. And when you do this, here's what's going to be the result. It's going to take exactly this long, and along the way, at this point, you will encounter this specific trial. Don't panic. That trial is going to last exactly two years, three months, and three days. And at the end, here's exactly how I deliver you. Here's how I'll be glorified and you'll be blessed as a result. And then the next thing that happens, and we'd see all this planned out, then we wouldn't worry, right? God doesn't do that, does he? He tells us what the next step is. Here's another one of those lessons we've we've talked about before. His word is a lamp unto my feet. And a light unto my path. It's not a spotlight. It's not a searchlight that helps me see all the way down the road. I can't see the end from the beginning. But his word will tell me what the next thing to do is. God knows the end from the beginning. So why doesn't he just tell us? There's a couple reasons. For one thing, God is the ultimate storyteller. 
And there's an excitement in the mystery, and it's a good excitement as long as we know that he's in control and he's with us. But I really do think the main reason is if he told us everything at the beginning, we couldn't handle it. We'd chicken out or something. He's promised us a good future, but he wants us to live in the present. So here we go. When we simply say yes to God, we are not merely saying, okay, you're God after all, what choice do I have? The whole because I said so thing. What we're doing, if we do it right, is saying yes because we know that our Father loves us and really does have a wonderful plan for our lives. He promises us that not only will he take care of us when we obey him, but that our lives will mean something to others. He's not just going to bless us, he's going to use us. I will bless you and make you a blessing. This is the covenant that goes all the way back to Abraham. And one of the most beautiful examples of this in the Bible is Mary, the mother of Jesus. We heard this scripture read recently in the Christmas program. I'm going to read it again. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent sent by God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that holy one who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren, for with God nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. A couple things I want to point out about this. Number one that is that Gabriel also visited Joseph and told him, Call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Second, and this is kind of a big one. Did you notice anything about this? Gabriel told her a lot. Told her a lot, didn't he? He's going to be the son of God. He's going to sit on the throne of his, of his father David, rule over his people forever. You know what was left out of the Annunciation? How about his name will be great. He will sit on the throne of his father David. He'll also be beaten with an inch of his life, have his beard ripped out, be spit on, be betrayed by those closest to him, and ultimately die a horrible death on a Roman cross, mostly at the behest of your religious leaders. 
could the angel have told her that? Gave her enough information and assurance to take the next step. Here's a question that there probably isn't agreement on universally across Christianity. Could Mary have refused? I say yeah. I don't know what that refusal would have looked like. But what I love, instead of wrestling with could she have refused, is how so, so beautiful it is how she agreed. Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be unto me according to your word. And then she visits her relative, Elizabeth, who is now pregnant with John the Baptist. We pick the story up in verse 39 of Luke chapter 1. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leapt in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. And then Mary responds with what we call the Magnificat. I'm only going to read the first couple verses of this. In Luke 1.46 it says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And it goes on, but I just wanted you to see this line. Henceforth, all generations will call me blessed. In other translations, it says, Mary says, and my name will be forever exalted. Now, I would argue that this certainly has happened, even in some cases, to a greater extent than than God would will, to the point where Mary is worshipped, prayed to. But the truth is, She has secured her place in history, hasn't she? She has certainly been honored as a key figure in the incarnation, in the advent of Jesus Christ the Savior, all because she said yes. Be it unto me according to your word. Now, I am not saying that if you say yes to God's plan for your life, that your name will be as well known as that of the Virgin Mary. I'm not saying that your role in life will be significant in the same way hers was. I am saying that God does indeed have a plan for you. And that if you say yes to God, he will bring it to pass. And in the process, you will be elevated. You will be exalted. We should only exalt God. We don't exalt ourselves, but God says... Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. He will exalt you. You will find your true reason for living and, and you get to live forever, eternally, with the God who created you for himself. What is the gift that God has given us? He's given us purpose. He's given us guidance. Specifically, in a word, he has given us his 
commands. They are always right, they are always best, and they are not burdensome. When it says his commands are not burdensome, it doesn't just mean they're not too hard. It simply meant it simply means this. I think more purely means this, that God, when he gives us the commands, he doesn't give them to us as a burden to carry or as a list of things. Well, here's what I got to do to please God, and he's God, and I believe him, and he saved me, so I'll do these things. He gives these commands to us for our benefit. He made us, he created us, and he knows what will cause us to thrive. So he says, live like this. And what a blessing it is that he hasn't kept this knowledge hidden from us. His commands are a gift. In this gift exchange, what do we give him? Obedience, our lives, control. How do we start? Where's the first yes? Praise and worship team, come up here. verse I always quote, almost always quote in the altar call is this, Romans chapter 10. If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. When we confess, that word confess, as in confess your sins, that word is, means agree, to agree with what God has said. Stand up with me. So to say the words, Jesus Christ is Lord, is not the key to Romans 10.9. It's to speak out of agreement with what God has shown us and what God has revealed. It's not simply saying, Jesus, save me. Although I believe God answers that prayer. He, he meets us where we are. But we have to agree when we come to God for salvation, when we, are, when we reach this point, it's like, my life doesn't mean what it's supposed to mean. Maybe we become aware in a moment. Maybe we grow in this awareness that there is more to this life. There really is a God. There really is a devil. There really is a heaven and there really is a hell. I need to make sure I'm doing this right. God, show me. And he reveals us exactly what the cross was about. Why Jesus, God the Son, came to earth as a baby, grew, ministered, was crucified, dead and buried, and rose from the dead to pay our sin debt. But as we've seen in this gift exchange, he gives us this new life, but we have, we absolutely have to give him our old one. We can't ask, re receive the new life and hang on to the old one for nostalgia's sake. He gives us the past. He gives us the promises. And we give him that praise for who he is. And he gives us his commands. If he gives us the commands and actually expects us to obey, that puts him in a position that only he can occupy. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, what you are doing is agreeing that he is not simply saving you, but that he's taken over. If you will confess, if you will agree with God that Jesus is in charge, 
and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. It breaks my heart when people resist God simply because. And and there's all sorts of reasons. But a lot of times, many times, unfortunately, it boils down to this. It has nothing to do with philosophy, nothing to do with science versus religion, and everything to do with this. I'm afraid I won't enjoy life much if I put Jesus in charge. I don't want to make that commitment because there's too many fun things I'll have to give up. breaks my heart to hear that. And I know it breaks God's heart because he's like, you have no idea. You have no idea. You're talking about fun and I'm talking about joy. You're talking about fun right now and I'm talking about eternal joy. You don't even know how good your life can be. How do we find out? Go to the, go to the one who is the very author of life. Will you come to him with that heart today? God is saying, I have a gift for you. I have many gifts for you. I've got a track record. I've got promises. I've got a new life. And I've got commands. See the commands as a gift. And he says, will you accept them? Will you accept me as your God? I am the only God out there. It's not a matter of you choosing one over another. I'm the only real one. Are you going to submit to me? Are you going to receive the life I have for you? Will you say yes to him this morning? If you have never personally said yes to him, if you've never one-on-one with God saying, I need that salvation. I have never made you my Lord personally, Lord Jesus, and I need you to be. I need you to save me. I don't want to do this life by myself anymore. It's It's stupid to try to figure it out. When you are the one who made me and knows me, Everything about me knows the end from the beginning. He will guide you into the future and through the future that he has planned for you. If you've never made that decision, I want you to make it today. I'm going to pray to end this message. As soon as I'm done praying, they're going to start singing. As soon as they start singing, don't wait. If you want to give your heart to Jesus Christ this morning, accept him as your Lord, come up here and let me pray with you. Okay? Be a great Christmas present. God. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the gifts. Father, we've said it and heard it said for years that we cannot outgive you. And everything we've looked at in this short series just drives that point home. You give and give and give again and again and again. And you put it in us to give and we're grateful for that. We're grateful for every opportunity to give in any way we can. Father, just help us to be settled that we can't outgive you. We always come out on the winning end of this. You are so generous. You're so extravagant with your love and every manifestation of your love. But we thank you most of all, and especially at this time of year. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for God the Son in the form of man and everything his life, death, and resurrection means to us today. Father, I ask now, if there's anybody in the sound of my voice who does not know you as Father,
does not know Jesus Christ as Lord, does not know Jesus Christ as Savior, that they would come to know you today. Convict as only you can, Holy Spirit. Convict the sinner of need for salvation. Awake in them a desire and a hunger to know you and be known by you. Grant them, Lord, the humility to recognize their need, the wisdom to seize this moment and the boldness to walk it out today. Come into that saving knowledge and receive the free gift of eternal life. We ask these things in Jesus' name and all the believers in here said, Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that this message encouraged and equipped you in your walk with Christ. Make sure to follow us on Facebook or Instagram to stay updated with what's going on at Living Word Family Church. Have a great day.